Good evening and welcome to Power Shift. My name is Rebecca Irby. My name is Natalia Bonilla. So this evening we have a little bit different of a show and we're gonna start with a moment of silence for our special guest, um, Cayenne Dorschel, who was going to be joining us but had a death in the family. So um, we're just gonna take a moment and send some love to our community and to Cayenne and to her family and her people. So just sending love. Natalia, I was gonna say, you know, um, it's been a really tough week. Two weeks, month, yeah. year, lifetime. It depends where you look. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we are guestless today, as I mentioned, but we thought that it was going to be, it's important for us to gather and to um, still continue to, to forge ahead. Um, these are really important topics and we're so passionate and excited to be here and spend this, um, this hour with you all. So we invite you to join us. We're going to be talking about comfort food. Um, the, the joys of it, what's going on, what's happening. And yeah, Natalia, um, this is actually your idea, which I'm so Yay. grateful to you for um, helping us get through this little mini crisis that we had this morning. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult time and one does not know how to, you know, manage many things. And, um, you know, when it's still Thursday. The week is not over, but I don't know for many people, you know, how emotional this week has been. It has certainly been for me. And, and I know, Rebecca, you also have experienced some hardships. And I don't know our audience members, if so, but we decided, you know, to create maybe a space today where we talked about the healing power of comfort food. Um, you know, like just have a bit of like a rest from all the different topics that we've been you know like following through all the news cycle that are happening you know depending on the country that you connect and and maybe you know um tone it a bit down but in a good way and really enjoy our company and whole space. And I invite everybody that's joining us live and afterwards on our different um, media platforms to share with us your own um, journey with comfort food. Where has these plates <laughs> or dishes um, actually rescued you from like a mini crisis or like anxiety or, you know, the, the loss of loved ones. Um, today has been a very hard day and um, we want to honor Cayenne and, and send her a lot of love and, and sending a lot of love as well to many people out there that need a hug. <laughs> Please receive one. <laughs> um, I mean, I can hug through the screen, but like, you know, this, this is my hugging, like <laughs> maybe we can create like an emoticon or like something to send over. And um, if you're with your loved ones eating at the same time as us, then hug them if possible. I think that hugs are underrated. We need hugs, we need kisses, we need more, more, more love, love, love. 
and physical touch, even if this pandemic is not available and are allowing us to do so. But like, yeah, we, we crave human connection. So yeah, I would love to um, maybe ask you, Rebecca, what's your comfort food of choice and why do you choose it? So um, I feel like my comfort food really changes depending on the season and what's happening and what I need comfort from. Um, but I will say soup is normally like, it feels very grounding, but specifically pho, um, it's a Vietnamese soup. It has nothing to do with my culture or my background. I just love it. Um, and the reason I love it is you can see all of these really beautiful, like fresh herbs and bean sprouts, and it's got lemon and just like such freshness, but it also has this really delicious, um, it's beef broth. Um, so it's very grounding. Um, and for someone like me, who I, I am a meat eater and um, that type of protein has always felt comforting and like makes makes me feel good on the inside and out. So this this soup is one of my favorite go-tos when it's cold, it's cold and damp outside and like I can kind of feel it in my bones. Natalia, as you mentioned, um, I'm actually leaving tomorrow morning for a memorial service uh, myself. So it's just, you know, there's a lot going on. And I feel like soup, and specifically this kind of soup where there's a mix of the fresh and hot, uh, I find just, it feels like a hug, you know. I would say a bowl, but I don't actually have a bowl. I have a huge styrofoam well it's made of plastic so it's not real styrofoam it's the new specially made from plants styrofoam <laughs> but you know but what about you what are you eating what what kind of comfort food is comforting you this evening well i would say comfort food will be like soup but it's so hot as sour that you know um that's not a good idea if i want to you know have a healthy, you know, uh, body temperature. So that's not, you know, what I envision. So I even thought about, you know, buying a hamburger like on takeout because that kind of like, you know, like puts me up. But then I said, no, I'm going to cook back at home. I already had, you know, these red beans and, you know, red beans and rice and a bit of guacamole. And um, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, let's just go homey style like for me comfort food is a bit like home like re returns you back to your roots um but yeah I, I find that it changes through the seasons it could be soup if it's too cold <laughs> and you know there's this meme on Facebook that I, I will share it a lot because uh, the um, there, there appears two images one like in Puerto Rico because there's a, so hot it's so hot like 100 degrees outside like you know like uh, cars can get melted like <laughs> like this uh, kind of uh, meme where the car is already me melted and then you go home the second image appears of your mom it's like mom what's for cooking today soup <laughs> it's like no <"Nah." laughs> it's already hot outside don't give me more soup um but yeah it's, i think that soup is enticing um because of the ingredients like you said like the freshness i mean that doesn't necessarily have to be like this hard a lot of you know like 
ingredients and a lot of elements for the food, like the soup, like it can be just as simple as even like the el caldo, I don't know in English. Broth. The, the broth, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the broth. And just, you know, like uh, that, that sensation that, that many flavors at once without it being like, oh, the noodles and the eggs and, you know, like adding a lot of stuff. Sometimes just the broth itself is comforting. Yeah. And it's, it's good. I love that. So um, I, I was going to say, I thought that you would have a hamburger because I know that that's one of your favorite pick-me-ups. Um, so yeah. you said you, you chose to do rice and beans today instead yeah. and guacamole. So. Yeah, it's just, I, it was more um, inventory decision <laughs> because... I started thinking that I don't have ketchup. And though I could order the mm, hamburger through takeout and ask them to put ketchup on it, they probably will only bring like two, um, I, I yeah. don't know the name, but the thing <laughs> to, to, to- Yeah, two ketchup packets, packets which yeah. is never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough because you use it either for the hamburger or for the fries. So that's a tough choice. And I didn't feel like I could make that choice if I'm going to enjoy it. Um, so I already had the red beans ready because I um, put them like on stool, like I pre prepared them, like meal prep during the weekend. And then I, <laughs> that's one of those secret ladies out there that want to save time or even men cooking like just meal prep. That's like beautiful decision because then you just take it and just add it to the pan and then it's hot it is um but it's good um and i just you know created with um integral rice which i've never tried what kind of rice integral like integral i don't know what that is you know integral bread or like oh bread. like multi-grain so wild wild rice that have like a whole bunch yeah, of colors yeah it's wild rice no i mean this doesn't have many colors but it's like wild rice but mm -hmm. um i cooked it like regular rice and it's very hard but it's still tasty but i'm trying you know you know not to break any new thing i'm trying to you know like it softy so that's why i have my guacamole here just in case you know to soft the landing of the rice on my teeth and you know <laughs> eat it so i will eat slow this time <laughs> definitely <laughs> i'm so hungry i don't know if i will be able to <laughs> although i there's so much the the one thing i do love about this meal is like you can eat it and it looks like you've not even made a dent um, i've never tasted fall no. Um, when was the first time that you tasted fall? That's a good question. I think college. Mm. Um, there were a lot of um I'm not the well, where I went to school in New Jersey, uh there's a lot of like fast food, um, Asian Chinese food which I don't really love. And a friend, um, they're like, I think you would like this. You should check it out. It's like what you're talking about. So I was like, why isn't there anywhere to get like fresh, like real Asian food? Um, I was spoiled because it's coming from Manhattan and my family. And so 
Vietnamese food was, um, it's just really fresh. So I like really, I love it. And my friends were right. It was the perfect mix for me. Um, so that was cool. I like that. Mm. I find that's very important. And, you know, like some, something to explore, which are like comfort foods from other cuisines that actually make you feel happy or, or make you, you know, pick you up because this is a Vietnamese um, place or dish. Mm. And um, for me, for example, the, the first time that I tried like butter chicken uh. um, from India, Oh my god, I fell in love. I was like, I want to have more. And it was like, wait, so I'm gonna start, you know, ordering on a restaurant like weekly on a weekly basis. But then I, I got like so a bit like addicted, but I wouldn't say like addicted, but I really wanted it. Like it was part of my staple. And then I decided to go on Thanksgiving Day to the final restaurant, like the, the real restaurant that I've always ordered the butter chicken because I tried several on the area, but they were not the same as this one specifically. So I kept on buying because I tried to see if they had like other better recipes, you know, because once you start like getting hooked up, it's like, oh, I want more. Um, and then I went to Thanksgiving last year Um, with my friend and with my <laughs> George, our Charlie's Angels, George is also a butter chicken fan. So he is there telling us, yeah, butter chicken forever. <laughs> is yeah. it spicy or is it just like flavorful? I don't know if I've done the butter chicken. Is it I'm, curry or? It's more like a curry, but it doesn't taste like curry. I mean, right. it tastes like It doesn't taste like butter. It, it tastes weird. <laughs> I mean, it tastes good. <laughs> and um, it, it's more like turmeric, like turmeric and um, because of the cream, it has like um, yeah. white cream or like some kind of cream that Maybe. allows it to, you know, be not as spicy or, or like something like that. Um, but when I went to the restaurant on November, I went with my friend and I went with another friend, COVID protocol and everything. Um, but we wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. And that for me is like a very sacred day. Not because of, you know, the whole Thanksgiving thing in the United States, but in Puerto Rico, that was like what the one time in, the, in my family that we all got together. Not Christmas, not, you know, like, you know, Santa Any other. <laughs> or even birthdays. No, no, no. Like just... Thanksgiving Day was the full day of the whole year where my whole family got together. And it was, you know, because of many things, but we were just doing this whole like ritual of putting all the table and everybody was bringing a dish. And it's not like, you know, like your grandma or your grandfather is cooking for you, but rather everybody needs to like bring something. And then we did a prayer and, you know, like we gave thanks. I mean, it's different for a lot of people in Puerto Rico. So I'm not saying that this is a rich right <laughs> ritual that we do to tergiverse Thanksgiving and the whole meaning, you know, in the United States, etc. But, you know, my family did that. And here I've been celebrating it with my friends, calling it Fr Friendsgiving for over like 10 years now. Everywhere I yeah. go, I always celebrate like Friendsgiving. And we went to the restaurant and there were nobody because we still like are in COVID time. And they wanted to, you know, like, um, 
how is it? Give us a good customer service because it's been a while since a lot of people, you know, like walk to the restaurant, but they gave us a beautiful table and, you know, like it was beautiful. Like they had these um, decors of the restaurant, like um, wood type and um, how is it? Um, like this contrast is inscripted and a lot of but the stuff. fabric because it's indian it was indian right so is it like the sorry? yeah but he had like wooden wooden scriptures oh, like yeah carvings yeah <laughs> scriptures pardon my <laughs> new language that i'm trying to bring here <laughs> there's no um, reason to ever apologize for the beautiful way that you speak is it's my English is my second language so I'm trying to do like Spanglish here and see if we can communicate yes exactly so I never apologize and you know multiple languages not many like there are so few people that can say that so be proud of it I'm proud of it I feel very honored to to do this with you so I, I love you and your energy and like bubbliness is amazing um and it Aww, it, it always is always like blows me away because you write for us um and English is your second language which I'm always just so so grateful to you um and all of the skills that you have so uh, thank you so much I I had French as my third language but like don't ask me to do like span French or in French like I'm not that good on it I'm more like this sweet <laughs> like very very like survival French even if mm. I got you know, I was going to say, is it restaurant French? No, it's just that, I mean, the thing with the French language for me is that you don't um, practice it with someone, like yeah. the speaking language, like I can read it and I can write it, but like this, the tongue needs exercise. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Don't take it the wrong way, people listening. <laughs> it needs exercise, but like good exercise. Um, so anyway, this this restaurant was very beautiful and they had this um how is it um tv that they used and they had bollywood movies and it was incredible but then they started like turning it up the volume like they had you know, the bollywood dances and i was like please talk like i can't be like listening to this this is too distracting and then the guys you know without shirts you know, dancing on the, the on the screen, and we were like, "This is not healthy." Like we were in quarantine, <laughs> you know. Like, what is this doing? I'm trying to eat and concentrate on friendship, and then suddenly, on the background, next to me, are these high music, these people dancing without their shirts off, and then they're like, "Where am I?" You know. So, um, yeah, my friends ordered the same dish. Like we did, like several like dishes together. They ordered the butter chicken. They loved butter chicken. Yeah. But the experience was not what I expected because we couldn't talk really. The music was so loud. And really? wow. my friend, who is a bit older than me, got distracted because there is a lot of distraction. And then my other friend got distracted eating the food. So like the whole, like, you know, like let's thank, let's give thanks, let's connect with each other, like that didn't happen. So we tried to do it afterwards. So we went for a, a, a wine glass on like a, another restaurant that had like a very low key environment, like no people, etc. 
but then we could only stay for 30 minutes because here the alarm started like there's like a city alarm that says that every restaurant needs to close and yeah so the, finally we got to shield but then had to drink the wine like very easy like very fast and um yeah it was not what i expected hopefully we did gave thanks <laughs> um, but yeah um well it sounds like your thanksgiving of 2020 is kind of a reflection of just the year of 2020 so <laughs> Alarm bells sounding, drinking wine. Like, oh my god, chugging it! <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I also have something super tasty. Um, I used to get so Thai food. I ate a lot. Um, and there is Thai coffee. This is Vietnamese coffee, but it's made similarly. But it's like super caffeine and a ridiculous amount of sugar. It's made with condensed milk. Is that bubble bubble tea? No. So it's very different than the um, than the bubble tea. It's like it looks so thick because it's made with, do you know, condensed milk, the really sweet milk that you make flan with? Yeah, I know condensed milk, but I don't know the sweetest. It's the carnation milk, like condensed milk like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super sweet. That's what makes the flan. Mm. Um, so they use that instead of like milk or cream, they use that like thick, sweet, condensed milk in the coffee. It's going to give me all the energy that I need to pack and get ready for my trip tomorrow when we're done eating. Nice. Have a bit of rest. <laughs> The cafe will not allow you. Well, I was gonna say no, it's gonna be the opposite of rest for sure. It'll be like the energizer bar, like ah, da, 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 da. Yes. <laughs> I don't know where the time goes. Like every single day I'm up between six and seven and still in the afternoon. Like I'll look and then all of a sudden it's ten o'clock. And then I look again and it's three o'clock and then it's eight o'clock and the day is gone and I feel like nothing has happened. I know that I'm doing things and people tell me I do a lot of things and it's probably true. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I've just, this past like two weeks have been really hard. Um, I don't know if anybody else has been feeling feeling this way, but it's just, different than the like COVID or maybe it's not maybe it's just been a year now and I'm like not adjusting yeah I don't know I also something that um my partner and I were talking about this afternoon because he was noticing it was just like it's been just every year, the springtime feels harder and harder every single year. And one of the things I was reflecting on, and I know you you think a lot about nature and the planets and the way that we interact with it. So um, maybe it's your influence that gave me this thought. Because I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> um, but I was thinking 
maybe the reason like spring is supposed to be this time of rebirth right and it's like this really exciting time the end of winter there's always a few hang like things hanging over that aren't quite ready to bloom yet but it's like a very in my mind I guess it's um a really important and very powerful moment the springtime when we awaken um and I know awakening can be difficult at times, but it has felt like every single year it gets more and more difficult. And one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, we talk about spring being the time of rebirth and everything waking back up. And I am wondering if with our climate crisis and the number of species from plants to animals to insects that aren't waking up because they're no longer with us, so are we having just more and more death and less and less rebirth? And it's like getting heavier and heavier every year. I don't know. That was where my thoughts. Um, well, actually it was, like I said, a conversation my, my partner and I were having. Um, I don't know, what, are you, what do you think? Mm, I feel like there's like several layers to unpack. But if there's one that is clear than pr probably past years, is that, yeah, there's a climate crisis. And yes, there's been like a pandemic and many things happening around the world that we don't know more of because they have done the master plan of getting us in our homes without going out and, you know, like protesting and stuff. Um, but one of the things that I think is affecting the collective consciousness is the negative media exposure and how the mainstream media, I mean, we, we came from four years of a lot of backlash to the government of the United States under the previous administration, a lot of backlash from mainstream media. And then 2020 was an election year. So you had not only the election time, the presidential election and you know like the other seats but also the pandemic <laughs> and then the other injustices that probably would not have you know gotten in such a big way until like it was um how is it unsustainable like people were just so fed up with social injustice you know with the um you, you know the killing of um did several um several so many <laughs> like now now there's a trial going on for Derek Chauvin and someone was killed like blocks away just last week um yeah yeah I think that that's that's what's um waiting wait waiting us down in a bit um I mean, it's already said psychologically proven that if you're having a very negative media exposure all the time, you can, you know, have um, psych mental problems. Like you can develop mental health issues and emotional health issues because your view of the world, you, the way that you perceive reality is mostly media related. Like, how do you know that something good happens around your corner or around in your community or in your country if you don't hear it on the news or if you don't feel like read it on social media or hear it on the radio or someone telling you via WhatsApp? It's very 
media related, the way that we connect with the world, and we perceive the world. And if all the time we were bombarded through this fear mongering campaign on several levels, not only in terms of health issues, but also in terms of our own activism and our own profession and even the economic downturns because a lot of people were like okay so is this pandemic yeah i need to guard myself but at the same time am i gonna lose my job what's gonna happen to my industry was you know like all these fear you know was so um it's a multi-layer campaign of, of fear mongering you know and I interviewed last year um, Kim, Kimberly Lowe. She is a conflict resolution specialist. Um, she wrote, um, she co-authored a book called Compassionate Conversations, um, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. A very yeah, book. she's amazing. That's so cool. You got to interview her. Yeah, like she, she's incredible. And she said to me something that I didn't, I mean, I knew about the collective consciousness, but I didn't know that it had many layers um and you know there are several degrees to the conscious to the collective consciousness so if you want to get a message across you need to go like from like the first realm of your immediate family and then you know like continue growing but there are several ways that you can reach other stages and for example she says that you know like on a specific level of the international relations spheres for example people and mindsets are on another level that people on other fields are, you know, connected to other levels. And sometimes it's difficult to connect the worlds because yeah. we, we, we go to, to different spheres. I, mean, I feel like we even speak different languages in those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like even yesterday, for example, I had like a meeting with a friend of mine. She works for a corporation agency an aid agency and she said like how can you like talk to rural women um for like an economic empowerment project and you know we were discussing this like how can we bring uh, like down the language from the technicism that comes from the aid world you know because it's so like oh how can we bridge gender equality and you know all these things that are like important but when you go to the to the field work like people don't care like they they they, they don't talk like that and they like, don't talk like that they may it feels care, like you're but, being condescending yeah but when you they don't, don't not necessarily um understand these concepts or care to understand or care to go to, with you to to you know like go to that language you know um so anyway so we we, we were also discussing this how to you know like speak to that level and you know get work across i find that very um valuable um and um but yeah i feel like the negative um collective consciousness is weighing on us a lot yeah. and maybe it's like <laughs> in a way um no I, <laughs> but in a way because it's like you only see the side effects after you take the vaccine you don't have it like necessarily on the same day so the positive or the negative i don't know the the side effects but the thing is it's similar with the collective consciousness you don't know how much it will hit you until you're exposed much time to that and then you your body starts like ah shut up the news or you know you fall into depression or you just don't want to do anything you know like and and just want to 
take a weekend to recharge, but you took the weekend, the recharging didn't happen, so you need to take two weeks and then a month, you know, and everybody's different. Um, but everybody has time as well. Like how much can they, their bodies and their minds and their hearts can, you know. Uh, take. How much can we take? Yeah. Can we take? Yeah. No. So that's my response. <laughs> so I, I think that's, um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I wonder how, so like with your friend talking about like, how can you go talk to rural women and, you know, the idea of what we're doing and um, the way that we got to this idea of having more difficult conversations, but doing it over food. Um, that seems like a really amazing approach for aid organizations to take, like inviting people to come and have a meal and to talk, to learn more about them instead of the aid organizations showing up and being like, we're here to help you. Um, maybe they show up and it's more like we were here to learn about you and see if there's anything that we can help you with, but we want to hear from you, from your side, how you're going to do it, what you need. And that's really nicely done over a meal. I don't know. I think that it's happening, but there are still like some barriers, like structural, legal, yeah. and even like economic barriers that don't allow mm, many of these um, dynamics to happen. Specifically yeah. because aid agencies have to, you know, like, um sustain an image like i mean it's branding you know like you know, if you have the the reason that all of that is in place is in in order to keep people in all of the place like in their places so the yeah. aid yeah. agency has this look and feel of being the savior and then like we're helping very very poor rural people out in fields we like the pictures that we're going to take you know, we could take multitudes of pictures, but the ones that we're going to take are the ones that pull on people's heartstrings the most. So, like, can we put that baby near some garbage and take a picture of them? Um, I, yeah, I have lots of comments about that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No, but it's, but it's important. And I think that, for example, something that I, um, you know, the, the cease piracy documentary that is already on Netflix. I mean, it's become like trend. <laughs> I don't know what TV is, so I don't know. Which, which one is this? It's called Seas Piracy. And it talks about wild fishing. And, you know, like, we already have um, probably like some image of like the killing of whales in Japan and the killing of whales in Norway. Um, so there's also like dolphin killing and, you know, other animals in the, in the, the sea. But this documentary started through, you know, talking about, you know, the killing of animals, etc., and it became something else, which is understanding how savage is the fishing industry and how unregulated it is, and how connected is the fishing industry, not industry as in like enterprises, but you know, people that not necessarily are like registered on a government level, you know, like, you know, and even like illegal um, and pirates organizations, you know, but how connected are these uh, actors 
to human trafficking, to animal trafficking, and, you know, like how they are using like horrible practices to, to harness so much fish. And, you know, the estimates of this documentary is that by 2048, the seas would not have any fish. And they had these, um, how is it? Um, like uh, illustrations on the on the documentary because you know like they have like on the water a lot of cameras and all that but they have these illustrations and they didn't go deeper into the um, human trafficking and the illegal uh, animal trade and all that and even it's related to food because most of animal trafficking and you know all that has to do with you know the high cuisine and you know yeah. like these top restaurants either in China or in European Union, etc. But they they started talking about a, a bit of it because they could get killed. <laughs> and yeah. second, um, they they said something very um, important, which is how at every level, governments, enterprises, and even environmental NGOs, they are still not tackling the cost. And for me, like one of the big statistics, two big statistics that really, um, you know, like, like, jumped out at you. Yeah, <laughs> was basically that um, the microplastics campaigns that many environmental groups have, like, you know, like, don't use straws, don't use uh, paper bags, or, you know, like, uh, plastic bags, and all that, amount to 0.05% of all the plastics that are on the sea. And the thing that you were saying right now is how agencies, you know, take specific pictures. The same happens with the environmental organizations. They they put always the picture of the turtle with the straw on the nostril, or you know, like the bags on the on the on the mouth of a fish, etc. But they don't tell you that forty six percent of all the plastics in the sticks and in the in the sea is from um, fishing gear yeah it's from fishing nets and like that's what causes so much harm in the ocean and that's not something that we ever talk about yeah no horrible <laughs> but you know it's it's how connected as well as through the aid agencies because they the, the one thing that got very clear for me for that documentary was how organizations engage in these dynamics in order to survive. Yeah. If they fix the problem, if they talk about the fishing industry, if they go the route of stop fishing because of the sea needs to, you know, the, the how is it, the fishing pyramid of like the bigger fish eat the, mid, the middle fish and the middle fish eat the smaller fish, etc. If we change that, then a lot of organizations will cease to exist. A lot of certifications for tuna cans will stop existing. Yes, yes and no. So like I, I hear this argument a lot and as someone who has a nonprofit myself, it frustrates me a bit because I don't think that it really speaks to the actual problem with grants and the way that nonprofits are run um, and the way that they are expected to exist without any monetary support. So I don't actually think that the organizations would disappear and that's why they're doing these things. They're doing these things because their only way that they can exist is through grant money and through 
sponsorship and like different types of funding that then dictate what they're able to do, what types yeah. of like, and you have to be able to show results. So if we're talking about work um, and you can get a lot of money for advocacy and for raising awareness, but the type of awareness that they want you to raise is about those straws, not about the fishing industry. So when you accept that grant money, you're beholden to their agenda. It's one reason Peak is unfunded. Um, I fund it myself so that I'm not beholden to people, but that also means I hustle my ass off because I don't have any funding. Um, but it allows us to be independent. And I think there's this really difficult, nearly impossible space that organizations are in, um, especially in the nonprofit world, because I know a lot of these humans that are amazing people that feel very kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you're still doing the work, you're still doing what you're passionate about. Like, and that's the thing about people who run and start and work in nonprofits. We do it because we're passionate. Um, and you know, there's this fight inside of like, is what I'm doing making a difference at all? If I'm not doing it, then does it not get done? Should I not bother doing it because it's not to where I want it to be? I, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but I think that the, the big, main issue is the way that money enters into what we do. And this is, I know, very specific to the US. Um, so this is not on the international level. I don't know about nonprofits in other countries. Um, I'm familiar with a handful. Like in Germany, I know that their nonprofits run out of their government. Um, they claim that they have a lot of autonomy. I don't know. But um, and I don't know what the answer is, except my feeling is if people believe that good work is being done, they should give money without like, I don't know, what's the, the right word? Like, yes, you should be, you should be accountable and have to follow through and file reports, but this connection between the way that nonprofits receive money and then what they're allowed to do with their mission. It's really messed up. Um, and again, I was saying, I don't, I don't know what the solution, the grand solution would be. Um, the solution for me and Peak was to do everything independently um, and just only, only fundraise from people, from community. Um, and that's, that's the route we've gone so far. I think many people can relate to that, you know? I have friends that um, own also nonprofits and they feel like if they go the grant route or, you know, like subventions from governments or like all that, like they get tied. And, you know, it depends. Like there are several like interests in at hand and everybody's different. But you know what, one thing that really made me like, rethink a lot not only in terms of fish we were gonna have fish tacos today <laughs> so all fish lovers something to think about and us meat lovers also something to think about which is more like the consumption rate and 
you know, that's what I find very troublesome is when we try to um, go to the extreme because like, for example, in Puerto Rico right now, there's this whole um, movement to like target fishermen on the coast and, you know, like have their land um, taken away to create mega projects, etc. And this like, it's not as, as easy as saying, oh, stop fishing, you know, because it's so bad. It's like, for some people, that's the only source of income. And that's the only source of, you know, like feeling, you know, that they can eat. They don't necessarily, you know, like fishing because, oh, it's so luxury and it's, it brings a lot of money. Sometimes they just do it to survive. That's what they eat, like, you know. Well, and there's that big difference between like the commercial fishing industry versus the local fisherman who is doing it to survive. And I was gonna not ask because you, a local fisherman is not gonna take like tons and tons of fish. Not, and they're you know. not using huge like the plastic that they're talking about coming from fishing is not from local fishermen. That's from those huge nets that they dredge the floor. Everything gets caught up in it, and then oftentimes they leave them at the bottom of the ocean, and then fish and whales and like that's what's killing the animals in the ocean. Um, I, I lived in Japan when the documentary about whaling came out. Um, that blackfish? Yeah, I was oh. living there when that came out. Um, I am not for killing whales. I'm not. But it was difficult to be there and to talk to the elders in those communities because it's not the whole island. It's this tiny, small little enclave of indigenous people that have been doing this forever and like going there and seeing their communities and how how the fish are used like they use everything it's very similar to what the Inuits do in Alaska and the the film did not at all show or reflect reality um it was very, you know, I- A judgmental I films. I think that sometimes we fall into the judgment route and don't understand that there are like several cultures. I'm not saying that this culture is good or bad or like, uh, you know, like we need to, you know, stop the whaling or <laughs> allow the whaling because like, I'm not saying that, but it's also this conversation on the globalization and the, who has the moral response to tell other peoples and other cultures was good or bad to do in their own land. Because I had this similar conversation with the women's aspect as well. Like, you know, it is easy to demonize, you know, like the patriarchal societies in the Middle East and say like, oh, they are, you know, giving the women, you know, like uh, they don't have rights, women don't have rights and they are alone, etc. It's like they need to have gender equality and have 50-50. And that's our own view as Westerners through liberal feminism, which has been fed with us, you know, with the liberal agenda of top organizations here in the West, telling other people what's their reality and what their reality should be in order to achieve this gender equal world. And for them, have we asked them what they feel about it? Oh, no, but if we ask them and they don't agree with our vision, <laughs> then we start saying, oh, you need to learn more. You, 
I'm gonna give you access to education so you think like me, which is what's yes. happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in Iraq, and what's happening in many countries in Africa and Latin America. No, you're not thinking like me. I'm gonna give you a grant. I'm gonna give you a program with my feminist foreign policy plan. You know, so you start developing and becoming economically empowerment through my lenses. Right. And that's not something cool. And the same, I think, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I I see that um, if Japan is the place I have the most experience outside of the United States because I lived there for five well, over five years. Um, when I first went there, I also I was coming in with this mindset of being a Westerner and also the stereotypes of what Japanese women are and um, that there's a lot of misogyny in Japan. You know, and that's just like generally quote unquote understood in the US. Um, and when I went to Japan, it was fascinating once I started speaking to the women there, especially the older women. Like there are certainly a lot of issues in every country with women's rights, but it was very different from what I thought. Um, the women there were quite happy with the way that things are organized within their society. They wanted access to more education and better jobs, but all in all, the way that society was broken down and the gender roles that were in that society, they're like, I know what you women in America are saying, but you don't understand. Like, we run our house, we control all the money, we have the kids, like we can do whatever we want. Like what you guys are talking about, I don't want that. Like that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. And I was like, imagine that so like their view of women's rights was so incredibly different than what my thought was and what I thought the conversation where I thought it would go um and like what I was fired up about and what I thought was misogynistic they're like no actually we control all the money like what you guys don't in America don't understand is that the women in Japan control all the money like oh I was like, what do you mean by control? And they're like, like our husbands work, they don't have access, their paycheck comes into my account and I control all of the money. And I was like, oh, and she's like, and no, I'm not at all interested in changing that. I like it this way. Like, this is how our society has run. It's wonderful. Like, we're responsible. We know what's going to happen. We know where everything is. And I want to keep it that way. And I was like, like that's news to me and yeah I, like and like you were saying it was my lens and my thoughts from my western point of view coming in and fortunately for me I went in with the mindset of just wanting to learn instead of projecting like my viewpoint on people but um it was I, I had to bite my tongue a lot and often because I realized that I was very much out of my depth um, and that that's I didn't... one of the struggles with globalization as well. And for example, this specific topic on disease is like, mm. these are like unruled. We need to have like the moral obligation of taking care of the fish because who's going to help the fish. But then if we start going that route, it's like, who's going to help the gorillas and who's going to help the plants and who's going to like, you know, because everybody, like we are all interconnected and, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because I know that soy plantations 
that are, you know, growing each time more because, you know, plant-based and veggie food, et cetera, are also creating like the second emissions after the meat industry and it's or the cow farms or I don't know the name, but like- the Almond milk is one of the worst things for the planet. And the palm it's oil. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I get that there are like different ways that we can approach this, but the whole globalization conversation is the one that's not still addressed because we still want the lenses of, you know, it should apply to all the fish in all the world. Like we should allow the, the seas to just stay as it is and never touch it. As if that's a social pact that the 6 billion people in the planet agreed upon, which is not gonna happen. Because we don't speak well, the thing that you brought up about uh, the documentary you were watching about 48% of the plastic coming from fishing, I ventured to say that that's probably commercial fishing. And it, it fascinates me that we focus, like usually these types of documentaries and probably because it's easier access, but going back to this point of like demonizing small indigenous communities for their practices, like they are not having the impact that you're talking about. Like they're not the ones doing, like whatever they're doing is not having the impact that you're talking about. The people having the impact that you're talking about are huge corporations that are dredging fish and taking them by the like hundreds of millions of tons. Like those fishermen that are using lines or like even small nets in their small coastal areas, like that's not, that's, but that's the, that, but that's, those are the schemes that get right. placed. Like they, we don't know who's doing it. What we see on the scene is how bad it is to do it. Regardless of whether it's a big com uh, corporation or like indigenous tribes or is part of a culture, etc. Like the guy, for example, goes to Japan for um, a specific area where dolphins are getting like killed, like dolphins. Hmm. And then he goes to Norway for like the fest there's like a fest or, yeah, there's a festival, or something yeah. there and he he presents all the images of the block bath and it's horrible to watch it's horrible um but then you know like there were several things you know came to my mind it's like you know this is more like white privilege you know like you you can travel to norway as a white british guy very handsome by the way um go to you know, Norway, which you don't have problems getting the password to record and have the whales and, and, you know, like, you know, bring this view of how bad it is because you're killing whales. Why do you travel to Norway to tell them that that's wrong? You know, like, it, 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 it's just weird um, because where's the, where's the limit or where is, where is that our view stops being imperialistic to other people's way of thinking, being, behaving, like some of these fishermen, or, you know, I don't know, big corporation, but some of the fishermen probably have never gone out of Norway or out of Japan. That's their life. Well, yes, yeah. yeah, so I can definitely say like those small little villages where they were talking, um, they were devastated by the tsunami and I did a lot of work up there. Um, and that's how I got to visit those those regions. 
but no I mean they travel around Japan and like they're not stuck there and it's not like ancient times but they're it's fishing villages and that's a hard hard life um and the traveling is like selling their fish and like their wares and I I don't know it's just it's such a different like I was saying it's so incredibly different than what was portrayed and that to me um I never I actually haven't thought about that movie since and since it happened um I was I was annoyed and frustrated when I was living there and it came out and everyone was they're like oh my god did you see this did you know that this was happening where you are like go stop it and then I watched it and I was like that is not what is happening here at all um but is there but a just... of it all as well because just like last um couple of days I don't know when but I watched um the review of Godzilla versus Kong the movie yeah. and I know it's not not related to this but like people actually love this kind of movies or destroying the freaking world and having lizards you know like you know dropping nuclear bombs on the sea and all that and there's they, they eating popcorn watching this because it's like you know entertainment but you know like let's not talk about the the fishing industry or you know let's become moral about the fishing industry and not become moral about king kong you know killing each other and having a godzilla you know it's, it's well the thing that's fascinating about that is that it's gojira was originally from japan and it was a movie it was a protest movie about the nuclear like what the u.s was doing and about all of the testing um it's a really amazing old movie which i have i'm happy to share it with you um i'm okay <laughs> well it's, watch lizards <laughs> well it's so the original gojira it's more about the japanese people and the testing that's going on and like them trying to stop the testing and this huge mutated lizard that comes up out of the sea and it's like proving that we don't have control and we don't know enough about this new energy and we should stop using it like that it was this really amazingly done piece way back in the day um and it, it's very it's interesting to me what that franchise has turned into yeah. um, which is like the complete opposite of what the original movie was intended for but i think that's that's what's worrisome is that there are like 200 million dollars budget for these type of productions to get on the mainstream media and to get like share all across the globe and everybody's like do you watch con like who won it's like you know like and when you start seeing the movie con was you know um jailed and then used by humans and brought through fresh nets fish or these nets um to go to the arctic sea and drop him to fight godzilla and that way it didn't work because the there was a several rounds i i didn't watch the full movie <laughs> because it was too hard for me so i started watching like the video version on youtube the review that has all the spoilers like the 10 minute video so you don't not you don't have to endure all these fightings and then they go and destroy cities afterwards they drop kong and godzilla on a city and destroy all buildings and where is the people where are the fish 
what about you know like the air and you know like yeah. pollution no that's not matter because it's fiction it's not that fiction yeah just, we're we're doing that right now it's horrible i saw this video on instagram a friend of mine told me like they found a big lizard like a crocodile you know like going through the bundles of the supermarket like going through the racks of the supermarket and i was like that's the killer kid like it's finally arriving to our stores in our, our stores nearby you know you start like becoming crazy and then <laughs> Godzilla's going to attack me in the supermarket. Maybe he'll stop us from buying too much fish and meat. Yeah, he, he's very ugly, so he might. <laughs> that is so funny. So I am seeing that we actually have already gotten to seven o'clock. Um, we haven't talked that much about food. <laughs> Only we did. You know, it did. can be, you well, know, cooked and, you know, put in a table, like. Well, I was going to say, we didn't talk that much about comfort food. Um, so in our last few minutes, is there, I wanted to share, so this is my, my, like, I don't feel sick today, but normally if I'm, like, not feeling under the weather or cold, cold outside, but also feel cold inside, I don't know if you get that, but. Sometimes I feel cold inside. So that's my soup comfort food. Um, but I also, oxtails, which we tried to eat together and we haven't been able to do so, um, is one of my like nostalgic, homey, feel comforting in that kind of way. Like you were talking about the rice and beans for you. Um, it's like as nostalgic and it makes you feel like comfort, like home. Um, I would say like oxtails, rice and beans and platanos, that meal is like super nostalgic and feels really good to me. Um, so I was wondering for you, when you want something, like you're feeling a little under the weather, what kind of soup do you go to for your comfort food? I like tomato soup or sancocho. Yeah, What's I like sancocho, which is like a, um, like malanga, um, platano, soup together. Like they use a lot of roots and they put it together. Like for example, Colombian um, sancocho is similar to Puerto Rican and sancocho. So here there's Colombian restaurants. So I go and buy my sancocho and just eat it at home. I don't use many of the ajiaco thing that they had. Um, I just use sancocho. And um, yeah, I would say soup. I would say rice and beans you know, things that ground you, things that remind you of home and figuring out ways where you take care of yourself. It's not about stuffing yourself up to like not being able to move <laughs> on the chair. It's, it's just, it feels good. And I think that even if we are in diets and trying to eat better sometimes, like when it's whole food and, and good food, like, you know, with Siroin, for him, like comfort food is the peanut butter sandwich. Like on our second episode, I invite everybody to check it out because that was an incredible conversation. His comfort food was peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. And I was like, how is that possible? You know, like, you, because we have these stereotypes that it needs to be soup, it needs to be rice. And it depends to everybody what yeah. really, is grounding you what really makes you feel happy makes it picks up your mood yeah um, 
I don't think that we often allow that to happen. We leave it for special occasions, but not necessarily, you know, eat it on a regular basis. And maybe that's why we're so grumpy. Maybe we need to have more comfort food every week. <laughs> yeah. Make it a habit. I think so. Um, but I like what you were just saying. And when we were talking, it also something that kind of came up was the idea, you know, nostalgia and home is not a safe place for everybody. Um, so this idea of like comfort food, it, it doesn't have to be nostalgic. You can be from another country, like, you know, well, yeah, you talk nice. about, yeah, you talk about yours, I talk about butter chicken, I didn't have it here because, you know, um, it was more handy, but, you know, just pick one thing, regardless of, you know, good or bad memories, we always have a place that no matter how bad is the day or how rainy is the day, we eat it as if there's no tomorrow. It's like, if that was my last meal on earth, I would eat it and I will feel the most happy person ever. We'll die with a happy belly. And I don't want to talk about death, um, but um, how can we heal through the power of comfort food? I think it's a big question mark that I suggest to all our audience members to take it with you for reflection and to share it uh, with us on social media, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and um, share, share with us your impressions and maybe um, tag us if you have a plate and if you prepare a plate that's for you comfort food, please do so, tag us on social media. We'd love to read it and, and yeah. The recipe. <laughs> I was gonna say and share those recipes. So one thing that has been really exciting with the episodes that we've done so far, we've gotten a lot of traction with our recipes. So we're gonna continue to do those for everyone. Um, they've been very popular. So that's really exciting. Um, so we would love for you guys out there to share some recipes with us. Um, and I think how hashtag power shift comfort food can be our first one what do you think or hashtag power shifters let's yeah. connect power shifters out there yeah i like that i like it um yeah i'm trying to think if there is any other well it's not the healthiest but mac and cheese i think is my like not the box kind, although, well, like that's not true. Kind. I was going to say the box kind, it, you start with that, but I always have to add in like 20 other cheeses because it's just not enough cheese. Um, so that, yeah, so that was going to be my comment. Like, I don't, I don't cook really. Um, but when I do, I like to mix things up a little bit, but like mac and cheese, um, I like bigger noodles or shells, but then adding in a tremendous amount of cheese into it. Um, I'm a cheese monster. I love, love, love cheese. There's normally come and like, it with you. <laughs> right, let's bring her a slice <laughs> of cheese, and she's gonna be a happy lady. So yeah. let's try to figure out. <laughs> so for some people, are chocolates, and for you, cheese. <laughs> I didn't really like chocolate until I was older. I know I'm strange. Um, and I don't, I don't really like milk chocolate at all. Um, I prefer dark chocolate, at least 60%. Because I want it to be a little bitter. 
I like that like bitter and sweet combo. Yeah. So it was lovely to um, share here um, this yeah. conversation on the healing power of the comfort food. This is going to be an ongoing conversation. So I invite everybody to follow us on social media, also to join our Patreon community. Um, if you are interested in supporting this project to continue growing. And also, I think Rebecca, in order to close this episode, um, you know, to take in consideration a minute of silence for Kayan. I think that would be a good end. And um, yeah, I'd love to continue power shifting. Yes, I love I love that idea. And we'll definitely end on a moment of silence. Um, our handles are Facebook at PowerShift Table, Patreon slash PowerShift, and on Instagram, we're PowerShift. So please join us, send us some pictures, send us some um, recipes, please send us some recipes. And um, I love that idea, Natalia. So we'll, we'll close out with a moment of silence for Cayenne. So we're sending you so much love to you and your family on this day um, as you're going through this really difficult time.